mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today, we are going to be talking about opioid addiction, drug addiction, suicide, suicidal thoughts. So please be mindful of this um, before playing this episode. And also, if you have any kids in the car, just so you're aware that this is the subject matter that we are discussing today. It's Candice and Kayla, and we are Directionally Challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's okay, right? It is okay, Candice. It really is okay. I like the idea of us being candid and being able to be real and talk about how we are really doing, especially after the year that we've all been through. And now it's 2021 and we're seeing a lot of repercussions of what we've all been through. And this is going to be a process that we're going to continue to go through. We've talked about mental health on this podcast a lot. We've also talked about addiction on this podcast. And just because we've talked about it a couple of times before does not mean we are going to stop having this conversation. I think that this is an important topic to acknowledge for many episodes to come. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the opioid epidemic. We're going to talk about suicide. We're going to be talking about mental health throughout 2020 as a society, what it's looked like and what it's going to look like in the future and how to ask for help when we need it. Because that's an important conversation to have because guess what? We've all had really hard times in the last year and it's okay to ask for help, but it can be really scary. 
Today, we are going to sit down with Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. They are the creative forces behind Lemonada, a woman-run podcast network that shares the unfiltered version of the human experience. And these two know tragic loss all too well. In 2015, Steph lost her brother. And in 2017, Jess lost her brother as well. The two women were total strangers living thousands of miles away until one day they met each other online and the rest is history. They host a podcast called Last Day. Last Day is a podcast that talks about what's killing us, the stuff that's hard to comprehend and getting worse every day. Last Day's season one chronicles the opioid crisis in America and season two delves into the growing suicide rate, telling real stories, talking to experts and asking everyone along the way, how did we get here and what could we have done differently? It gives listeners in bereavement or struggling with addiction themselves permission to ask uncomfortable questions, challenge received wisdom, and laugh through their pain. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Stephanie Whittles, Wax, and Jessica Cordova Kramer. Stephanie and Jessica, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um We'd like to, if we may, take you back to the beginning when you first um, lost your loved ones and felt such great loss so that our listeners can hear your story. Um, and then we'll go from there. Do you mind sharing it with us? Not at all. Steph, do you want to start? Or you want me to? You start. <laughs> um, okay. This is Jess. I, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is always the worst story to tell. And I'm constantly having to tell it in the context of like some business pitch, right? It's like, this is what Lemonade is my brother died and I started a podcast network, yada, yada, yada. But, but the truth is I, I was, um, living my life. I have two kids. I had a job. Um, I was, I was helping make pod save the people with Duray at, at crooked media and, um, learning the podcast industry. Cause I, I came along as a friend of Duray and a strong operator, but had no real audio experience. So it was a crash course, um, in business startup and podcast startup. Um, and my little brother, Stefano, um, who was 34, almost 35 at the time had been struggling for about 10 years with addiction, um, fighting the good fight the whole time as much as he could. And, um, we learned on, on the morning of October 24th, 2017, that he had died the night before of an accidental, the day before of an accidental overdose, um, of what turned out to be fentanyl. Um, I think he thought he was buying heroin. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever get out over that moment. Um, but you know, it did all the things that you do. Um, he was my, my little brother and we grew up together and my best friend in many ways and just gotten married. And, um, when your person's suffering from addiction, you, you brace yourself for that moment. Like there's a lot of trauma and just remembering how much you were waiting for that call, um, when it actually does happen, uh, if it actually does happen. And, we went through the motions. I, I, I got back to my life such as it was and was in complete grief. Um, like I'd never felt before and I'm not the most vulnerable person, but I felt like an open wound and, um, the universe brought into my earbuds, Stephanie Whittle's wax in the form of a podcast interview that she basically crashed for terrible. Thanks for asking. And, mm. <laughs> um, it was honestly, my face had not smiled in, I think it was, it was February 26th, uh, 2018. When I listened to it, it was my birthday, my first birthday after, after Stefano died. And it was the first time my face like made the smiling motion. And I, I remember feeling like a smile happening and being like, what is this feeling that's happening? And she was such a hot fucking mess. She was cursing at her mom. She was cursing at Nora. Um, her brother had died two years ago and it was like, her brother was incredible and, and sounded a lot like my brother in the sense of like, just being this golden child. And I was like, okay, I might be able to live through this. It was the first moment I wow. felt that. Um, wow. So I read her book, which took me like 12 minutes, um, not because it wasn't long and beautifully written, but because I just poured over it, right? It's like she was she was journaling how I was feeling. And then I made her talk to me, um, tried to book her on Pod Save the People to talk about opioids uh, from first person. And and the rest is history. But, you know, the, the grief part as it intersects with the story is that for me. <laughs> You're so funny, Jess. Um, I did crash that interview. Uh, well, to be to be clear, my mom made me go on that interview. She had emailed the show and said, 
I have a horrible story I want to tell you. And Hans, who was Nora's producer, wrote back and said, great, come on the show. And then my mom emailed me and was like, you need to come do this with me. I was like, I don't want to. She's like, I don't care. And um, she talks like that. And then what's <laughs> funny is that I did go on, just heard it. And then the part she didn't tell you is that when we talked, I was going to have my baby in a week, I had my second kid, who's named Harry after my brother um, who passed away. And um, he, anyway, so I was like, I'll, I'll circle back with you after I finish like nursing and, you know, bleeding and all of the things that you're going through as a new mom. And um, she, at the very end of the conversation said, I have this idea for a show about opioids. Would you want to do it with me? And again, I was like, no, I, I don't. I'm going to pass. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here I am hosting the show. Um, so um, my life is uh, people asking me to do things I don't want to do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's been great. It's been super fun. I love talking about um, death and grief and uh and emotional annihilation. Um, <laughs> I'm being facetious. <laughs> well, it is hard. It is hard to talk about. We've actually had Nora McInerney on our show. Um, I've listened to her podcast for a long time. And, and I think that what we're realizing, especially coming off of a year like 2020 is how necessary it is for us to, to talk with each other and have a community, um, not just for the great times and the happy times and the celebratory times of life, but for grief, which is not a linear experience. And it's not uh, something that occurs at a point in your life and then you get over it. You know, it's its own. It's just not a linear experience. Um, but Stephanie, can you share with our listeners your story? Yeah. Um where to dive in. Um, so our story started earlier, um, in many ways, but also not in many ways, because like Jess alluded to, um, when you are struggling with addiction, when someone in your life is struggling with addiction, the story starts long before the death. Um, and for Jess, Stefano was struggling for a decade, um, on and off with, with addiction. Um, my brother, was always a recreational drug user and a few days before my wedding called and told me that he was addicted to oxy. And this was in 2013. And really from that point until the point that he died, it was a nightmare. It's a, it's a nightmare to be on that roller coaster with somebody and to constantly live in fear of losing them. He lived in LA, we lived in Texas at the time, and I worried every day that he was going to die. And so death was really part of my life for a very long time, the, the threat of it. And, and we all know that death is always a part of our lives, right? Where we are mortals, it is it's part of the equation, but you don't see it up close and personal on a daily basis um, unless you know, you're dealing with addiction or disease, or I think right now we've all been dealing with it up close and personal mm -hmm. in, a, in a really acute kind of a way. Um, and so we always kind of joke, like we've been here for a while. Now everyone is, is at this party mm -hmm. and um, it is, you know, that moment when you get the call that you fully expect, but can never be prepared for uh, is, is, is a true game changer and life changer. And I think the second that I got that call, nothing was ever the same. You know, Jess explained just now that she was, had a job and she had two kids and she had, that was her life. And then it wasn't, it was the same for me. I was teaching. I had my daughter who was a year old. I was me. <laughs> and then I wasn't. And I have spent a lot of time over the last six years since I lost my brother. Um, he died on February 19th, 2015, uh, the day before my birthday. Um, so I just turned 40 and it was the first birthday that I had 
that I had a good time <laughs> that I was, we, uh, prior to, to the 40th, we just called it day. And my husband would always get a cake that just said day. And <laughs> everyone knew that I didn't want to celebrate. And the thing about grief is that it is always going to be with me. It is always going to inform every part of what I do, every part of who I am. My brother's everywhere. He's behind me in that photo. He's on a painting on the wall. His stuff is everywhere in this office. It's everywhere. It's in my soul. It's in my children's faces. You know, they're they're everywhere with us. And I think people sometimes are like, how do you joke? You know, how do you, I mean, Nora's a great example, right? How do you joke about it? It's like, well, how do you not? I mean, if you got to keep living, which you do, my way of coping with it is, is with, with humor. I think, um, which is my brother was a comedian. He was a writer for Parks and Recreation. He coined the term humble brag um, mm. that came from his head. So he was like, I think he would be insulted if we were not laughing about his death. <laughs> Frankly, um, you have to. It's just too heavy to carry that without it. Right. This, this never ending grieving process that just envelopes your entire being and your life and not just yours, but the people around you as well. I just want to talk a little bit about the grieving process because it is different for each person. And I think we have this new element nowadays with social media that some people grieve so openly that there's also this stigma that if you don't grieve openly, what does that say to, to people who quote unquote follow you? What does that say to your friends? Did you guys feel the pressure to grieve in a different way than what you instinctively wanted to do? We had such different experiences. Like you couldn't roadmap two different experiences for mm -hmm. like, I could have told no one how my brother died ever outside of my immediate family. Um, and honestly, that was my instinct at first. Like my, my, we're, there's no fame whatsoever. There's no notoriety. Um, we had a large friends and family network, but, um, oftentimes when people die of a stigmatized death, the death is suicide or a death by overdose or, or something along those lines, any kind of complications with, with health that have been judged in some way, there's a, a natural inclination to not talk about how your person died. And for months after Stefano died, we didn't, we, we said he died unexpectedly, um, which raised a lot of questions. I mean, close friends knew that he had, he had suffered from addiction and was in and out of recovery. And, um, it was something that he was working on people who didn't, I think assumed he died by suicide. And I didn't really care at the time what people assumed. I, I truly didn't care, but, um, something happened to me where I felt the need to make his life continue in some way. And a lot of, I, I don't, I do not recommend this at all, but like we made last day, it was like, a, it was grief therapy for me. Thank you, Stephanie, for indulging <laughs> the maniacal uh, impulse that I had. But like we, we, we went to, for last day, season one, we, we zoom in on Stefano's last day and Stephanie hosts the show and we zoom out to help people understand the broader epidemic, um, by helping them understand all the different parts that led us here. Um, it's sort of like a show where no one is really villainized and everyone felt left feeling left the season feeling understood from first responders to doctors, to family members, to people who are in, in recovery themselves, um, or struggling with active addiction. And I went to Boston, it was the most horrible process ever. But for three days, we recreated Stefano's last day with a small production team. From the moment he woke up all the way to the morgue. Um, I do not know to this day what compelled me to do something like that. But I know it's helped a lot of people. It's certainly helped my immediate family. So that was our our process. Stephanie, I feel like you had the opposite delightful <laughs> experience. You mean TMZ didn't break the news to your mom that your brother had died? Oh, okay. No, nope. that was that was our experience. Yeah, we we couldn't hide. Yes, your face is exactly correct. Um, my brother was very well known, and um, yeah, TMZ broke the story, and I had gotten called from a detective, and from the moment that I had heard the news to where TMZ broke the story, it was like a two-hour window. So I had had like two hours to process it and was waiting for my mom to come home to tell her the news. Um, but they got to her first and, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think um, there is no right way to grieve. There is no wrong way to grieve. Social media complicates everything. Um, I have the need to express every feeling that I feel. I, I, I've been an artist since the moment I came out of the womb. Um, and that is how I process the world is out loud through writing. I wrote the book in nine months after my brother died because I needed to get it out of my body and somewhere else. And I didn't have, no one followed me. I didn't have any, I wasn't anybody. I mean, Harris was somebody, I was nobody. Um, and, you know, I, I remember really clearly writing his eulogy. And when you print it out, it tells you how many hours you spent working on something. I don't know if your printer does this. Maybe mine is like trolling me or something, but Mike <laughs> printed it for me. And, and it told me that I had spent 26 hours editing and writing it the week that he died. And that was the first thing that I had written that I was like, well, no, that's not true. I had written many things with other horrible things that have happened in my life to, as a way of processing. But I think the eulogy was where I was able to sort of harness, like, I think I'm going to die. Let me just focus on writing about Harris and writing about why I love him and writing about how special he is. And then I like somehow delivered it in front of, you know, hundreds of people. I don't remember saying it out loud, but I know that I did because I was told that I did. And that was part of my grieving process, you know? Um, and then I, I put that up online because everyone was asking if I, if I would share it, you know, everyone wanted to, to read about Harris and um, I was happy to do so. There was like, there was so much being written about him at the time. It was like, I remember one of them that my mom saw was like somebody who was like talking about sleeping with him and like wrote a blog post about it, you know? It's like, okay, I mean, let me, let me, let me, let me set the record straight. Let me write something from inside the family. And, you know, everyone really loved reading it and, it felt like a way to honor him. And, um, you know, when we were starting last day, a big concern that I had was I don't want to do anything to dishonor our brothers. I don't want to drag them through the mud or make them seem flawed, which is so silly because we're all flawed, right? Mm -hmm. But when somebody dies, you want to preserve the best parts of them. And, I think what what we did with with last day was we we got to a good place with it where it was really about our journey of figuring out what we could have done differently and asking questions of ourselves instead of you know Stefano and Harris did something wrong they they did not they had a disease um and they died of their disease and that is something that we really uncovered and began to understand in a, in a much more robust way over the course of the season. I think there is a lot of social signaling around how you should feel or how you should participate in a, in a dialogue that's happening um, or even in something personal that's happening. If you've lost your loved one to COVID, how, how am I supposed to do this on Facebook? How am I supposed to tell people? Um, or I see everyone mourning this person's death that, that we know. How, how do I contribute? And I, I would just say like, do the right thing for the right reason. Uh, be your authentic self in that space. If you want to participate because you feel genuinely moved to do so, do it. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, because you feel like if you don't, that makes you a bad person, then just, just stop out. You're not, that's not your, that's not your thing. If it's your person and you're just not wanting to share it on Facebook, for example, then don't, you don't have to, you don't know anything to anyone. Well, I think what you both are beautifully talking about is something that we're socially starting to realize more and more as a society, and that's separating a person from a disease, a person from an addiction, um, a person from their mental health, and remembering, you know, who that person is. Opioids are killing more people than car accidents. You know, I, I heard this repeated on your podcast and as well reading it and researching for this episode. And in your first season of Last Day, what were some of the things that you both learned 
about opioid addiction that you didn't realize before? What did you see in a new light? Everything. Yeah. yeah I mean, I can like run down a top five for you. I, I mean, I, I, I could teach a college level course mm-hmm. at this point. I mean, I learned everything. I, I knew nothing. Um, part of that is that you're kind of, there is a for, for-profit treatment industry in, in America. And I can speak to America because I live here. Um, and we are told that 30 days is what you do, right? You send your loved one or you go to 30-day treatment, you get sober, and then you get out and... I don't know what you're supposed to do. Continue with your life. Um, They do better if you relapse, which you will because it is a disease, right? And then you go back into your 30-day program. So the the whole sort of like system of treatment is, is, is really flawed. What I learned very early on in the season is that treatment is a five-year minimum process. And then it is a lifelong process after that, that you are in remission from your disease, um, but you are not cured. You know, it's like if you have cancer or diabetes, you can maintain your health, you can be in, in good health, but it always has to be something that's a priority in a different way than it would be if you had never had that disease, right? So your maintenance health program is going to be different and look different than someone who is just sort of um, without diabetes or without cancer or without addiction. So the treatment part is is huge. The recovery part is huge. We also have in America, um, I don't know if y'all know this, but we are quite punitive, right? As a as a as a system, as a country harm reduction is not in our nature. It is something that we um, often equate with encouraging people to do bad things, right? There's a lot of like binary, this is good, this is bad. Pass out condoms to kids, you're going to encourage them to have sex, right? Like, well, no, they're going to have sex, so they'll do it safely, right? So mitigating harm is something that we have got to get more comfortable with. Um, Oregon passed a law recently legalizing drugs and everyone was like, oh no, they're passing out heroin on the streets now. It's like, absolutely not. If you look at the data and and the research and you look at, you know, safe use facilities and people who have boots on the ground and various harm reduction organizations across the country locally, they are making sure um, that people are not dying of this disease. They are passing out Narcan. They are making sure people have clean needles. They are giving them spaces to use safely. All of these things feel wrong, but they're how we will increase life, right? Sustain life, which is what we want. Um, again, like the 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 biggest piece of it is reframing this from a moral failing or a weakness to a disease. And if you reframe it in in a disease framework, you see how beneficial harm reduction actually is. Those are the two off the top of my head. Jess, what am I missing? I think one big one, because our central question was, could we have saved our brothers? And we never, we, ne- we, we answered it in a million ways. And then who knows, right? Uh, but I think that the one big one was, particularly with opioid use disorder, um, heroin addiction, however you want to say it, or oxy or Vicodin or Percocet addiction, any kind of opioid or opiate addiction. The Once you've gotten there where you are misusing or overusing a prescription or misusing or overusing any kind of street drugs, um, that is that is with you forever. So if you're a family member and you're listening to this and your person or you are are struggling with any kind of opioid or opiate addiction, your brain has been rewired. Their brain has been rewired. That is, there is no going back. The, the brain fundamentally works differently now. Um, and what I didn't know when my brother was alive, and I'm not even sure he fully knew this, and I, I think the Whittles family didn't know this as well. I don't know that Harris did, is that there was no, almost no chance for survival without some form of medically assisted treatment to help regulate the brain chemistry. You just can't cure yourself through willpower um, or Mm. God or any of the things that a a typical 12-step 
program, which can be very successful for other forms of addiction, um, it, it just doesn't work for most people. And so I think what I what I felt like I learned and what what I take away from if I have like 10 seconds with someone in the elevator is like, your person can be on methadone for the rest of their life and still have a good life. That's it. Like that's it. Methadone, Suboxone, you know, whatever has been proven to, I think those are the two quote best um, opioid use disorder. Uh, my brother was on Vivitrol, um, which is a, a blocker, um, but doesn't really help with the serotonin stuff. So some combination of these things. And I think that's a huge one. And then it, the way you guys framed the question, I think it was, it was interesting because I hadn't thought of this before, but like separate the addiction from the person. That is so true when they're dead. That is so fucking impossible when they're alive. Um, it is so easy for me to look back and be like, my brother had a heroin addiction and that lives in this sad closet. But I remember this beacon of a human being for the time, you know, for when someone's struggling with an opioid use disorder and they're alive and you're, you love them, those things are really hard to separate. And I think the same is true for a serious mental illness. It is, it is really hard to separate those two things. For your first season of Last Day, you took on the opioid epidemic, drug addiction, and your personal stories within this that you've spoken to us about. And now for season two, you are tackling the difficult topic of suicide. One in four young adults have struggled with suicidal thoughts since the coronavirus hit. And that statistic is from the CDC. That's such a staggering number. Have you discovered anything else while researching and discussing this topic and its complexity? And what has your second season been like? So he, he, here's the deal is that um, I don't know when you're going to air this, but we all watched Harry and Meghan last night on Oprah. Finally, and Kayla and Mel did not watch it. And I've been recorded. wanting to talk to someone about it. I just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> and I'm very happy that you're bringing this up also in correlation to what we're talking about uh, today. Yeah, yeah it's, it's extremely relevant. Um, she talked really candidly about feelings and thoughts of suicide. And she said all of the things that many of our guests from this season have said, which is that I didn't want to be alive anymore. It's not that you want to kill yourself. You just don't want to be alive anymore. And you think that if you were to go, it would solve a lot of problems. It would solve your problem. It would make everyone's lives easier around you. You, you, are, you are feeling like a, a problem that needs to be solved. And if I just stopped being alive, then it would get better. And that is completely flawed thinking. There, nobody, nobody that dies by suicide, the people around them, it does not make it better. It is, a, it is something that they carry with them forever. But that is the, the, the train of thought that you're on. And Megan spoke really beautifully about asking for help and knowing something was off and not being able to receive it because of stigma and because of how it would be perceived um, that she was struggling with this stuff. So... If Megan, who was a literal royal, um, is struggling with this, we all are. You know, we call addiction and suicide equal opportunity destroyers. Uh, they can sink their teeth into anyone at any time. Suicidal ideation does not necessarily mean that someone is going to complete suicide or um, go through with it. It means that they have gotten to a point of hopelessness and despair that there doesn't seem to be another option, that it is something that they have put on their list as some kind of a solution to the debilitating pain that they are in. Suicide is about trying to stop the pain, right? We had one expert, uh, senior suicide expert, who said people who die by suicide are in intolerable psychological pain. And I think that everyone on some level can relate to intolerable psychological pain. It does not mean that you are broken. It does not mean that you are flawed beyond repair. It means that you need help getting out of that intolerable psychological pain. And we have help. We have mental health. We have, we have, we have therapists. We have psychologists. We have medication. <laughs> Speaking of medication, right? Like I would be nowhere without my um, anti-anxiety medication, right? It is, uh, it's how I'm able to be here today. We have so much stigma around a lot of that stuff. Um, 
So we dig into in season two, you know, solutions. What, how can we help those are around us that are, that are struggling with this? Is there a, a cure, quote unquote, for suicide? And what we found in season two is that it, it goes back really far, right? That the cure for suicide is creating a life worth living. It is not about in the moment that the thing that we like to dramatize and put in TV shows and, and movies where somebody saves the day or somebody's in the bathtub or and it's it's mm-hmm. bloody and it's very shocking. Um, that's not what suicide prevention is. Suicide prevention is making sure that somebody has a full, rich life, which means, yes, fulfillment, but also like a living wage and healthcare and all of those things that we like to politicize are things that really help people to feel like their lives are worth something and that they have supports in place. Mental health care needs to be part of that equation. So I, I just, I want, if, if people listen to the season, the biggest thing to take away is that suicide is about hopelessness. It is about loneliness. It is about despair. That is why you're seeing these numbers go up right now, because there is a lot of hopelessness and loneliness and despair. We have been in our houses for a year. Um, and there are lots of things that we can do in the moment to help people who have gotten to that point. We cover tons of that in the season. Mental health, first aid, how you can can intervene. You don't have to, I mean, lifelines are great. Please call them if you need it. But you can help someone who's your friend, who's your family member, have the conversation openly, say it directly, stop dancing around it, you know, um, and then, and then help them, help them to get help. So I did just summarize like 12 hours of content into probably three minutes of, of dialogue. So please do listen to the season. It, it, I think it can and will save lives, but that's kind of where, where we got with that one. And I, I think like one other thing, to, we are two white ladies um, and we are very well aware that the suicide epidemic, as as with the opioid epidemic, are incredibly complex when it comes to race and income, um, legacies of injustice in both places um, in terms of people's health care and mental health care. Um, so you'll hear a tremendous amount of diverse stories throughout both seasons, in particular, um, last day season two, where we're not telling our stories at all. Um, and so, you know, suicide has affected different communities differently. We have an entire episode on LGBTQIA individuals of color. Uh, we have an entire episode on the Native community. And it's like, if you're going to create a life worth living, equity, self-determination, those are those are things that really are at the forefront uh, of our minds and, and also of our network. And, you know, Lemonada, we... Last day is last day is, is actually pretty funny at times. Um, it is enjoyable. Stephanie is hilarious. She is herself in all places, no matter what that place is. She will be herself, um, and so you will laugh as much as you cry. But we have we have eleven shows at Lemonada, and they're all about helping you out of bed in the morning, making life suck less. And so you know our mission statement is is sort of suicide prevention on its own. We're you know we just we just came out with a show called Good Sex. And it's doing really well in the middle of a pandemic. And we think it's in part because people are just freaking miserable on every level. And they're miserable at work and they're miserable in their sex life. And they're like, give me something to help me get through this moment. Um, so you'll, you, you, I, I don't know. We, our mission statement is not actually suicide prevention, but it could be, could be. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. I mean, I hope we are all feeling more encouraged to open up about what's going on in our minds and our hearts in our bodies, uh, instead of just holding on to pain, uh, specifically when it involves mental health and the shame that can come around that. I mean, something that I was struck by watching the interview with Meghan Markle and Harry and Oprah last night was that she very clearly said, I vocalized my experience. I vocalized my pain. I vocalized my dark thoughts and was told, oh, you're fine. Like we've all been through it. And I vocalized that I needed help. I needed to go somewhere and I needed to go away for a little bit and I needed help and was met with just a door shut in her face, essentially. Mm -hmm. If you are someone who is, has someone saying, I need help and I don't know where to go, what can you do to offer that person help? If you, if you're recognizing signs of depression or, or you're just seeing that someone's just not in a good place, what can you do as a friend or a loved one to um, check in on them or, you know, without wanting to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? Um, 
what can you do? I know on your show that you got, there was an episode where there was a role play uh, with calling a suicide hotline to kind of experience, to see what that experience would be. And I realized, yeah, if I was in a really dark place, I'd be scared to pick up the phone and just talk to a stranger about, you know, what I'm feeling and uh, just the humanity that was brought to that moment. But I know that's a lot in one, but just what can you do as a loved one to show support to someone vocalizing that they need help? Yeah, it's really simple. You just ask directly. It's it's so, it feels so heavy for you, but you should know that whatever heaviness you're feeling, that person is feeling times a million in that moment. And what they want is to be seen and understood and heard. And so it's like, oh my God, well, how do I ask somebody if they want to kill themselves? What if I, what if I put that idea in their heads? Nope. You're not going to put that idea in someone's heads. You just ask, right? You just say, like, if your gut is saying that, like, something is off with this person and, you know, like, think about it like CPR, right? If somebody is on the ground and they can't breathe, you're like going to administer CPR. You're going to give them oxygen. The way that you can do that for mental health, and we have a whole sort of episode on this, is sort of bringing your humanity to the table. So saying, like, I do not know how to ask you this. This is like, forgive me if if this is so out of line, but I'm really worried about you. And I'm afraid that you're thinking of killing yourself. And is that true? Is that going to be comfortable for you? Nope. It's going to feel like you've taken off your clothes and you are running through the street, right? Is it going to be comfortable for them? Nope. It's going to suck. That moment's going to suck. But what would suck more is if you didn't say something and then something terrible happened, right? So that's like, deal with the fact that like, this is going to be an uncomfortable moment and acknowledge it. Like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> ah, And then they're going to say like, uh, what dude? Like, no, that's crazy. I would never do that. You know? And then you're going to go, okay, okay. All right. Well, I, you know, I just want you to know that I am here for you and I see you. And if you need anything, come to me, right? Great. And then they know that you're there for them and you have a laugh about how awkward that was and you move on. Or they say like, yeah, I have been. And you say, okay, you know, thanks for telling me. I'm going to help you get resources. Are you a mental health professional? Nope. Am I a mental health professional? No, no, I am not. But I can then say like, we're going to be in this together. Let's find you a therapist. Let's, you know, I'm going to come over right now. I'm going to bring a carton of ice cream. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to braid your hair, (laughs) whatever you decide that you want to do, you know, and, and we're going to get through it together. And that's, that's what they need to know. Like, I, I see that you are in pain and, and, and I am simplifying it right now, but I'm simplifying it for a reason because it, it really can be that simple, you know? It's not going to be, you You are not responsible for saving somebody's life and you can't, right? You cannot put that on yourself, but you can make somebody feel like you're not alone. I see you. I will not be the institution of Buckingham Palace, not um, telling you that you are valid and worthy of help, right? I will I will help you find where you need to, to land. Um, but just knowing that you're an ally and knowing that you're there for them and knowing that you see how much pain they're in will do wonders for that person. So that's a place to start. And there's, this is called QPR. It's like question, persuade, respond. Uh, QPR stands for question, persuade, refer, not respond. So the the R part is refer to a professional. There's a, there's a whole sort of thing around this, but that's sort of the long and short is that you bring it up even when it's uncomfortable and you face it and you try to work through it together. Thanks for that. Because, you know, there, it, it is one of those things where there's, it's, it's difficult to talk about. And especially with people that you truly love and are worried about. So to have examples of what we can say and our listeners now have examples of like ways to bring it up. That's, um, I like the, um, something we can implement into our lives. So thanks for that. Um, I want to talk about Lemonada because you guys started this really awesome female run podcast network out of tragedy. And the, the name itself is so lovely because, you know, you took something sour and turned it into something semi-sweet, as you say. Um, now, Jess, I know you are in Rome right now. And are you guys, you're doing a limonata in 
in Italy, correct? And what is that like bringing podcasting to a country that maybe isn't as familiar with it? Yeah. Um, well, it's fun. Um, it's super fun. I mean, listen, it's a pandemic, so we're not like moving and shaking the way I love to be, um, normally. And, uh, before this, so Steph and I, when we were coming together to make last day, we were like, okay, this, this is one way in which the world sucks, addiction, overdose, all of the things in between. Um, but the world sucks in multitudes. Let's, let's make a whole network about it. And then let's decide that the, the, anything that we put out is meant to make it better in some way. And, and you know, another thing about our, our podcast is they're, they're all meant to be first person. They're all meant to be storytelling from the horse's mouth and not, you know, us reporting on what's happening, but, but rather having people creating platforms for people to come and tell their own stories, um, in a variety of ways, which, which is important to us as, as female storytellers. Um, oftentimes other people's stories get told and they're not as, they're not as authentic. And then the solutions aren't as authentic, right? We launched with Last Day. That was our first show, but we followed quickly with As Me with Sinead and then with Good Kids and then with Mouthpiece with Michael and Pele Bennett and then with In the Bubble. Um, so we're now 11 shows. It's grown very quickly. Um, we had a, a European show from the start, which was Sinead's show. Um, and I think both of us have sort of a, you know, if it's happening here, it's happening everywhere mentality and a global one. And so when we decided we wanted to expand a bit, um, beyond us and UK production, it really made sense because we have a connection here. So we're just about to go into production. I think in April with, um, Francesca Lazzarin, who is from Torino. She is, um, incredible. She's going to host a show called in Giro con Fra, which is a, a show about, well, it means, it means on tour with Fra. She's the, um, wife of one of the founders of the Lumineers, Jeremiah Freights. And so has basically lived the past mm almost decade on tour um, as that band has gone from two dudes from Jersey to like probably one of the top bands in the world. Um, they had a baby together um, while touring and, and now they're, they've landed in Italy and um, the show is a sort of look behind the scenes. It's all in Italian language on their life and also a sort of hopeful take on Italy culture, persevering through challenges and, and what this country might look like um, and feel like in the in the coming years. You both have shared that um, as female storytellers, uh, art has been something that has been useful for each of you to acknowledge your grief, work through your grief. It's 2021. We all know what 2020 looked like. What are you guys doing right now to um, acknowledge your own mental health, take care of yourselves? What are you doing to make to check in with yourself every day? We're doing a we're doing a great job. You guys are- it's been great. It's been great. Let me. <laughs> so, so a couple throw, episodes throw ago, throw out the softballs. Throw out the softballs. <laughs> well, we talked. We a couple episodes ago, we talked about how we're all doing, and and this uh, term came up called pandemic fine, which mm. basically is just like, okay, I'm employed, I have a roof over my head, yeah. but I'm constantly waking up feeling terrible and and like trash, and so that's kind of become our new thing. Like, how are you today? I'm pandemic fine. So right. I think the you know it there is you know a new sense that of we're all experiencing a really heavy time together socially globally um and having to work through that and and have harder and deeper conversations with loved ones and friends or with ourselves and so as two individuals who have really taken the time to look at grief, work through your own grief, coming off of a year like 2020 into 2021. How have those lessons um, in your own lives applied to where you're at right now when it comes to working through a year like 2020 and what that entailed? I mean, if you listen to episode 17 of last day, you'll uncover that Stephanie actually has a work addiction. And I'm not on that episode, but I also have a work addiction. So like, I think there's, and, and Lemonada has just, you know, we have, we're busy in the best way possible. Um, and we have an incredible team of human beings that we work, we have the joy and pleasure to work with every day. And so I think there's some joy in the work, um, and the people we've been able to collectively bring together and, and all of that has like, our, our pandemic story will be this story of launching 
a gajillion podcasts, right? But it doesn't mean that we are not like dissociating and in a few Groundhog Day state like the rest of the world. We definitely are. <laughs> and I don't even know. I mean, I feel like I, I, the one thing I will say is that we're very nice to each other. Stephanie and I are just very nice to each other. And we had we 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 met and then formed a company in like a week. Like we met for the first time and then like made Lemonada and then like started making a show about our dead brothers. So like there was a little bit of learning of like, who are, who, who the fuck are you even? And then once we figured that out, it was, you know, just, I, I think ki- kindness goes a long way, but personally, I just mm-hmm. go under the covers on the weekends and watch back to back television and hide from everyone. That's, that's my, it's been my coping mechanism. Steph, what would you add? Well, I will, I will say that how are you today is one of the uh, things that we uncovered on, on last day season two, instead of asking somebody, how are you, which is just like sort of big and crippling mm. saying, how are you today? Especially someone to someone who is grieving is, is a lesser kind of affront. Cause I remember people would ask me how I was after Harris died and I wanted to rip their faces off. I wanted to be like, how the fuck do you think I am? I'm horrible. I'm like, do you want me to sit down and tell you about it? Cause I have a lot to say. Right. So yeah. I think, um, how are you today is a great way to frame that. So keep asking people that. Um, mm. but yeah, I mean, I have a, a two year old who's feral now and a seven year old who also is feral. She doesn't wear clothes anymore. I just bought her a ton of new dresses. Cause I'm like, you're about to go back into the world and you have to wear clothes in the world <laughs> and shoes. Like, <laughs> Like we just bought a whole <laughs> wardrobe. Um, so like, I don't know. I agree. I, I, I'm not great, but I say that I'm not great. Um, but I'm fine. Like, right. I, like I, I'm pandemic fine. I have a house and I have my family and, you know, things are okay and they suck. Right. So it's like, I, you know, um, you know, we our, our mission statement actually is uh, humanity unfiltered. So um, I, I do think that what Jess said about, I love our team, love them, love who I work with. It's I get a lot of social interaction from from those people who are incredible and all over the country. Everyone's in a different place. We have 20 employees and they are in 20 different time zones. Um, and that really grounds me. I've done a new thing that I need to sort of get better at, but I, I, I have my daughter hide my phone every night from six to eight in a place where only she knows where it is because I have no self-control. And if it's around me, I will be on it. And so, and she hates that. And it's like a lot of strife and trauma around that for her. So she hides it. I cook dinner every night. I've like really sunken into the cooking during the the pandemic, which like sucks too. But then it's like a thing that I can do every day to feed people and get out of my head. And, you know, we spend time as a family and we try to play and we live in a beautiful place and we go outside and, you know, I try to move my body. I do it like once a week, maybe, um, for like 10 minutes, (laughs) but that's, that's basically where I am (laughs) y'all. That's a great place to be. We're all just doing the best that we can every day. But thank you both so much for creating um, a safe space for people to be able to listen to stories of unfiltered humanity. I love that so much. And it's necessary right now. It's necessary, especially when it comes to this idea of thinking in so many moments of isolation. Because even if you have a full house right now, it's easy to feel isolated within the chaos of that. And so to have, you know, moments of, I feel so alone. Am I alone? Is there anyone else feeling this way to have created um, a space for people to go to and hear other stories and, and realize, oh no, I'm not alone. And there are other people who've been through this or in any of the extreme cases that you guys discuss on both seasons of last day and, and throughout all of your podcasts on Lemonada. So thank you both so much for, for joining us today, uh, for creating that space um, for listeners to sink into. And where can our listeners find you on social media if they want to follow you and uh, check in on you? 
Yes. Check in on me. Check in on me, please. <laughs> um, so you can find all of Lemonada at Lemonada Media. It's L-E-M-O-N-A-D-A Media. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Little Stephanie. If you don't like bad words, don't find me because there's a lot of them. <laughs> Jess? Yeah, my my Twitter is uh, at JJ Cordova K and I'm on Instagram at Jessica Cordova Kramer. Thank you guys so much for sitting down and talking to us. It means a lot. Thank you. Thanks guys. We talked about the Meghan Markle, Oprah Winfrey interview a few times, which I was really, uh, I had it in my notes to talk about. We both had it in our notes to talk about today. I'm really glad that Stephanie brought it up. Uh, I have the quote actually right here. Meghan said, and I quote, Look, I was really ashamed to say it at the time and ashamed to have to admit it to Harry, especially because I know how much loss he has suffered, but I knew that if I didn't say it, then I would do it. An emotional Mm -hmm. Megan said, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. we, We had this episode planned for a few weeks. So I just, I, I was so moved watching her say that last night. And, you know, we have the intention of sitting down to have a conversation about suicide and suicidal thoughts and the opioid epidemic, given that uh, just how often we're seeing in the news, people are struggling with their mental health and addiction. And we wanted to keep this conversation going, but seeing, you know, a princess, a real life princess, someone who, you know, seems to be on top of the world, openly admitting, you know, her own suicidal thoughts and and how she'd reached out for help I think I hope that people hear that and realize it's okay to ask for help and we have to ask for help and I think that what we can do better as a society is learn how to hear that calling and I think that that's what I I felt that I took away from today no that's so such a great point Candace because I think the key factor in helping progress this forward is removing the stigma of people feeling like they can't bring it up, feeling judged by it. It's okay to feel this way. If you are a listener and you've heard this conversation and you relate and you feel this way, or you know, someone close to you feels this way. It's okay. Just, it's okay to acknowledge it. And the most important thing to do is to get help. I know we've talked about this before. Um, the national suicide prevention hotline is open 24 seven, readily available. It's really important to us that, you know, help is available. Please check our show notes. There will be so many resources for you to access. And the national suicide prevention hotline is 1-800-273-8255. It's all, I'm sorry. I always get like so blocked when I talk about this kind of stuff. Why do you feel like you get blocked or tongue tied or like stuck in when it talking about suicide or mental health or no, that's such a good question. Because I think I know there are so many people out there that feel this way. And I feel responsible for our listeners who we love so much. And I feel for anyone feeling this way. And I don't, I want them to know that there's help. And it's important for them to know that they're loved, that we love them, that everyone, we're all in this together. This is a, a, global crisis. And so we all need to lean on each other for during this time. Are you just scared that something's going to come out wrong or that, that someone like to, that for someone to hear something? Not no, it's not that pers- I scare some, feel like something's going to come out wrong. I really just feel a sense of obligation to make sure that it's done correctly so that if someone is feeling this way, that nothing happens. Yeah. I, I totally get that. And I feel like that was a wonderful, um, that's, I appreciated about what Stephanie and Jess, Jessica as well. Um, but Stephanie just saying like, it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Like this is not an easy conversation, but it's just the conversation that needs to be had. Like that's the starting off point. You know, there's no recipe to this except really just having that conversation of, are you having suicidal thoughts or are what I'm recognizing this as a loved one, you know, and I completely understand feeling like the weight of wanting to have a conversation 
be the best it can be for anyone who is maybe struggling or having suicidal thoughts or struggling with their mental health and needing a resource. And, and then we're kind of offering up the space to be a resource and wanting to say like, we please, 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 please use these, like, please hear these words, hear these stories and know that you matter and we care. And, um, I found myself putting off getting my notes together for this episode Mm. for those same, for a lot of the same reasons that you're expressing. Well, thanks for making me understand that how I feel is normal. And that's, um, really important. That's what the message we're trying to convey to our listeners and to anyone who feels this way, that however you feel is normal. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged and took a lot of information from it and will utilize it in your life. We have another great episode coming for you next week. So we'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.